DKS9 is powered by Meme Global, a video marketing and advertising solution for entrepreneurs. Hello and welcome to the Digital Kung Fu Show, the podcast and video cast for startup founders and entrepreneurs. Even if you're alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs across the world hustling today's markets. At Digital Kung Fu, we have one goal, to help entrepreneurs succeed in their ventures through information sharing, digitally connecting them with other entrepreneurs, and by dissecting and deconstructing the world's leading business minds right here on this show. Remember, you can view the full show notes on our website at digitalkungfu.co. Or tweet this show using our handle at Digital Kung Fu ZA or follow us on Facebook.com slash Digital Kung Fu ZA. Social media is a tool that we all use as entrepreneurs to either build our brands or to market our products and services. Yet creating a truly social business in today's digitally enabled economy is not something that many of us get right. In order to understand exactly how to do this the right way, I've reached out to Mike Stopfort, the CEO of Cerebra Communications, which is effectively Africa's social business authority. Mike is a businessman through and through one of the most respected minds, in my view, in the uh, business landscape here in SA. And so I'm very excited to introduce you to Mike Stopford. This is Matt Brown from Digital Kung Fu, and I'm incredibly grateful to have with me today the founder and CEO of Cerebra, uh, Africa's social business authority and South Africa's probably premier agency focused on helping corporate clients navigate the challenges and the opportunities of the social area you're in business. So the guy in the hot seat today, his name is Mike Stopforth. Mike, thanks so much for taking the time out of your very busy calendar to, to chat with me today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Appreciate the opportunity. Cool, man. Awesome. So perhaps we can start by um, uh, you filling us out or filling us in a little bit on the background to Cerebra. Um, what's the story behind the company, how it came about? Um, if I'm honest... It, it probably came about because I couldn't get a real job. Uh, so, <laughs> um, did, did, didn't really, uh, didn't really have the experience to land a, a traditional agency, uh, opportunity, mm-hmm. uh, had a, had a, a innate passion for technology and more specifically what technology was doing in terms of, uh, offering an opportunity for people to publish to the web for the first time ever. Right. Cause mm-hmm. you had, yeah. blogs and wikis and podcasts are sort of precursors to to the traditional social network today. Yeah. And so, you know, understanding that that was having an impact on my life personally, I was like, surely that's going to um, mean something for other consumers mm-hmm. and uh, consequentially mean something for the employer-employee relationship. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea at that stage just how big an impact it would be. Yeah. But I, I, I guess I got lucky. <laughs> and I was in the right place at the right time, and um, yeah, it's become a, it's become, I guess, a fundamental in, underpinning to, to some of the big societal shifts in the early part of this millennium. So, um, yeah, that that's been our story, and we we haven't really shifted far from that, that path, you know. Yeah, and I think um, your equity in both yourself and your and your agency, I think, speaks volumes when you look at your client portfolio. So. That includes the likes of Vodacom, Barclays, Absa, Toyota, Woolworths, you name a big brand, Cerebra's probably in there. Um, and I wanted to ask you, Mike, um, what has been, in your view, the key to your success in terms of growing your bottom line and uh, landing these major brands into your portfolio? Sure, Matt. Um, 
I think I think there have been a couple of things. Uh, I'm, I don't ever want to discount the value of luck uh, in that um, I really do think I was the right I was in the right place at the right time. Okay. And <clears throat> if you consider just how many people, I mean, if you look at the the real gold mines of this era, the Facebooks and the Twitters and um, the YouTubes and the LinkedIn's, whatever it may be. For, for every one of those successes, I think there's got to be a hundred thousand dismal failures, and 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 I guess I guess luck plays plays a big role in in something coming off. And there were a lot of businesses that were started at the same time uh, as we did with a similar intention that didn't have the same traction. So mm. so that that's a factor. The, the second factor I think would be uh, I was lucky not to come from. Um, a strong business background in that I hadn't, I hadn't had, I hadn't been schooled uh, in terms of an MBA or um, I hadn't necessarily been overly exposed to, to the way a a corporate works. Mm -hmm. Um, Similarly, I hadn't grown up in an agency. So I didn't think like, I guess a a traditional agency person would. And, and weirdly enough, the lack of experience turned out to be an advantage because I think I saw things differently and I was like, why, why, why do we do it that way? Or why is that an accepted norm or, or why, 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 why can't it be changed? And, and, and I guess, um, a, a constant questioning or, or wondering about the status quo yeah. meant that, meant that we had an opportunity, I guess, to, to use the trend that was social media that was already challenging the status quo to kind of ask those questions at the same time. Um, and that's always been, it's always been a big part of what makes Cerebra, Cerebra as, as a company, I think as a, as a place to work, but it's also been, I think part of what our, our customers appreciate or our, rather our clients appreciate from us is, is, um, is, is a degree, maybe sometimes too much, um, a blatant honesty and, and, and questioning around why is it that we do this the way that we do it? You know, I, I think I think that a lot of what we see in the world today, um, whether it might be a trend around uh, cu- customer dissatisfaction or or a competitive um, barriers or uh, sluggishness around innovation, a lot of that comes down to the legacy of, of big uh, industrial age business. And I, and I think when we unpack all of that, we realize that that a lot of a lot of what we do. Is simply asking our clients to to ask tougher questions, yeah, yeah. Um, which doesn't doesn't sound like a big deal. Actually, it isn't a big deal. It's just it's really just common sense, right? Yeah. Um, so so there's no real secret, um, but there has been a, a conviction to keep to stick to those guns, mm. even when it was tempting to uh, depart from that 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 approach, and and it's been good, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great piece of advice that you that you've just given us. Um, because for me, the world has changed so much. I mean, we're in the information age, right? So the industrial age thinking doesn't really apply anymore. It's almost defunct now. So the guys that are going to make it, they see the world a different way. It's like Elon Musk with SpaceX and Tesla. He just he's a science. He, he thinks like a scientist, but he he's just gifted in terms of how he approaches complex business problems so i think the take out there is you know think differently and you'll get rewarded for sure yeah uh, there is that I, I, again maybe not as simple as that because there's still a lot of people that do business in a very traditional way that are making a lot of money oh, yeah, of course. maybe not 
Um, maybe not in a sustainable fashion, though, because a lot of those profits are derived at the expense of customers or at the expense of employees. Mm. And I think maybe that's the big question mark is how sustainable is a business model that that only works if people are um, sidelined, you know, or if the well-being of human beings is, is secondary to shareholder value. Um, and, and I don't think we ever questioned that when, when, when we spoke about sort of traditional industrial age business because that's what it was about. That's what a, that capitalist, a capitalist endeavor was about. It was yeah. about um, bigger, better, faster – uh, at all costs. Um, and I think what we're realizing is a lot of those assumptions that we made about how business gets done well have, have been flipped on their heads uh, or flipped on its head. And, and that's, that's exciting because that gives opportunities, to, I guess, to a whole generation of, of entrepreneurs with a different view, as you mentioned, you know, the masks or whatever of the world, a different view of, of how, how to make money and do so sustainably at the same time. It, it, it opens up opens up a lot of possibilities. Yeah, it does. It really does. Um, okay, cool. So moving on, I wanted to talk to you about um, client agency relationships. So I think there's um, a common assumption, I guess, that um, agencies are too costly. You know, they're out of reach effectively for a startup or um, you know a small business owner. They just can't afford the the kind of capital and so forth. So of course that can be debated and, and so on. But I'd like to get your view. Um, what's What's your view on when a business, at what point in a business's life stage should entrepreneurs or business owners consider working with a social media agency like Cerebra? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a it's a complex topic because to assume that all companies and all agencies are similar in practice is is, is first of all a big assumption, right? Because only then can we derive a reliable formula that says once you have 150,000 rand turnover, you should now and that's not necessarily – it's never as formulaic or as simple as that. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think there are deeper topics here around uh, agency and client legacy and, and, and how, how that relationship has evolved over the years. So I think that the romance and the appeal and the magic or perceived magic of advertising and marketing communications has drastically ebbed over the last couple of years. And, and that's largely on, on the back, I think, of agencies – manipulating clients into believing that there was some secret source to what they did when, when in many instances it was just a, a creative application to a fundamental human truth and a lot of that hasn't changed right? a lot of advertising yeah. is still what's the insight what's the big idea <laughs> yeah. how does this look in execution and clients are going that's really all it is isn't it yeah. <laughs> they say, yes but we also wear jeans um, <laughs> so um so, so there's that. That's a reality, right? So I think I think the the the, the emphasis on value for for investment is is more prevalent now than ever before. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, that's that's driven a very unhealthy dynamic in the agency world, which I've written at length yeah. about and also been castigated for. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, not all of it is not all of it is is nice to hear, but I think. Agency owners today, and if you consider how agency businesses are consolidated up into big um, uh, operating entities, big like holding companies, um, the only way that they make money is to, uh, or at least that they drive growth from a margin perspective, is by lying to clients or by uh, abusing staff. Mm. And if you're not keen to lie to clients or abuse staff, you can still make money, but it's just 
a lot harder. It really is. It's a lot harder, and the slog is a lot longer. And and then if you're interested in building a legacy or a meaningful business, it, it's 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 really tough because I think there is a driving skepticism from a client perspective, and there is an increased level of competition from an agency perspective as the playing field is leveled across. Uh, I guess this purported full service or 360 degree approach to, to what we do. Yeah. The answer to your question is anytime, anytime you see value, um, no biz, no two businesses are the same and, and no two agencies are the same. So I guess the question mark that any um, insightful uh, informed business owner should ask is, will I get more value investing 10,000 rand a month, 5,000 rand a month, 2,000 rand a month, 250,000 rand a month in a partner than I would in, say, uh, my own time or a staff member or perhaps the time of a freelance or whatever it might be. It's a value equation. Mm-hmm. And 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 the, the next question is how will I measure that on an ongoing basis to ensure that that value is, is precedent? Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's where it, where, it, where it goes wrong is that we don't begin these engagements with an agreed upon value metric, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, and agencies have historically avoided that because Makes them you accountable. Have proof, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. it actually wants to be measured on, 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 on that. Uh, yeah. that God forbid. God forbid. Yeah. So, so that's the, that's, that's where it's moving. And I, yeah, I've always said to, we, we get a lot of queries from businesses that I guess fall outside the spectrum or realm of what we consider to be an ideal cerebral client. And that's, that's n- not arrogance. I think that's more just a commitment to knowing what we do and how we do it well, and which are the best clients to, to do that work for. But when I get those questions asked, I mean, that's always my response is what are you trying to achieve? And very often, maybe 80% of the time, the question is, I don't know, but I thought I needed an agency. Yeah. Um, Cool. That's, really and that's a little bit like that's a little bit like trying to buy a house without knowing what the intent of that partnership is. You know, yeah. I want to make sure that I get this much out. I want you to keep your feet to this, and this is what I expect in terms of a level of service. Mm. I mean, it's fairly logical from that perspective. Mm. Why don't we apply the same logic to to the agency client relationship? Yeah, that's pretty cool. It's great to know that you guys are always accessible. So that's pretty cool. Um, well, we don't always get it right. We, we yeah, try. Yeah, I'm sure. But, I'm sure. But, um, I think it comes down to an ongoing conversation between respecting adults about what, about what, what each party needs to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the, the honest truth is that a lot of agencies today suffer um, abuse at the hands of clients that are like, you really are pond scum mm-hmm. and you're just lucky to have us as a brand. And just behave yourselves and do whatever we say because yeah. otherwise we'll just go to another another bunch. And to be honest with you, I don't blame the client. I blame the legacy of abuse that's come from agencies. And second of all, I blame the fact that we haven't fought harder for a seat at the table. Yeah. If you don't earn the respect, you're not going to get the respect. Yeah. And that comes from making some very astute business decisions. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one to navigate. Um, but I want to just shift gears somewhat into the measurement side of things. You mentioned the word measurement just now, which is interesting, because obviously in digital, everything's measurable. It's obviously a critical component to know that what you're executing in the market is achieving the objectives, right? So um, I just wanted to kind of bounce something off you. In the South African context, I've seen uh, brands move away from vanity metrics, so likes, followers, that kind of stuff. Um, and I was just wondering... Is that shift being driven 
by the identification of new uh, sort of opportunities that lie within the social media space? Um, or in your view, what are the current major opportunities on the table for, for entrepreneurs and business owners? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top, you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up. It's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. So we we um, we identify four categories, I guess, broad categories of measurable indicators that are going to give you some uh, sense of whether or not you're achieving something in the communication spaces. So we talk about reach, engagement, sentiment, and conversion. Okay. Uh, reach being that audience size component, how many people could we possibly mm-hmm. connect with? Yeah. Uh, engagement being the ratio or proportion of that that audience that is in some way, shape, or form interacting with us. Cool. Sentiment being the ratio or proportion of that engaged audience that does so positively, because you can have a highly engaged audience that is saying, that "I hope you die in a fire." Yeah, that's 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 yeah. not a great that's not, uh, great, not right. a great measurement. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, whether or not reach conversation and positive sentiment is, is, is converting any business whatsoever. Mm. Um, now I, I'm going to argue one point that you made. I, I don't think that certainly not corporate South Africa is any less obsessed with vanity metrics. And, and interestingly enough at the highest level at board level, that's what gets discussed. What gets discussed is why do they have 11 million likes and we have 10 million five hundred thousand that it's still if you'll forgive my french a dick swinging contest at that level and and it's only once the pressure gets put on from a budget perspective that we are forced to get into okay but are we getting bang for our back and bang for our back immediately means are we getting engagement is that engagement positive and can are we getting increased traffic to the website did we originate 80 qualified leads did we whatever it might be from a from a conversion perspective Mm. um in answer to your question, though, the opportunity for entrepreneurs and brands, I think, is is primarily around educating themselves as to the extent of the opportunity and not allowing allowing the perceived magic or romance of the social media realm to to, to dictate decision making around budget or around investment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second thing I think that is quite important is is uh, a, a, an open and honest conversation with those partners around which one of those elements is important at which point in time, because yeah. you can't have them all at the same time to, to uh, an equal degree. I think sometimes you've got to default more into focusing on the sentiment side. And then if you're going to put a lot of effort into reach, that might diminish your engagement or whatever it might be. But, but understanding that those are four levers that are adjustable 
cons- consistently. Yeah. And and I guess this is where I get excited about this work because that's when strategy comes to life. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. for, so, for so many agencies, strategy is a, a PowerPoint document you issue to the client, they sign it off, <laughs> and, and then it never gets revisited. But I, I feel like it has to be a working model uh, cycle uh, organism that revolves around those those metrics. Yeah, it's got to be a living and breathing thing, right? Because no um, strategy is obviously the same. So depending on what you're doing and how you're doing it, you know, content formats and types and so forth, all the impacts, I guess, to some extent, what you measure. Um, yeah. And it's interesting from a conversion perspective, people often say, oh, well, the role of social media is not to convert to anyone. It's there, there, you know, you're there to build a relationship with them you know, and engage with them in a, in a kind of a conversational manner, which I guess is why F-commerce bombed. So, you know, we had big brands like Gap, you know, launching effectively an integrated e-commerce play on Facebook. And um, to date, I don't know of any brand that's actually pulled it off. So with that in mind, I wanted to ask you, what's the role of social media when it comes to converting prospects into customers? So I think it's paramount. I, 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 you know, that, that argument around social media is not for sales, social media is not for conversion, I think is an excuse not to understand the platform better. It's an excuse not to do the homework around how important are those other levers in getting to that point. But I think what we've seen happen is reach directly into conversion. So there's, and that's the traditional model, right? Yeah, yeah. If, if we get enough people uh, reading this SMS and clicking that link, we've got reach plus conversion. Mm. There's no examination about the quality of the interaction in between that yeah. or how the quality of the interaction results hypothetically in more conversion. Mm. Uh, I'm sitting in a showroom at BMW. I watch uh, a, a positive conversation between a client and 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 uh, one of the service consultants and my entire view of that brand is um, is built or, or endorsed or, or uh, embellished by that observation. Yeah. And, and social needs to play that same showroom role. It, it is a little bit of window dressing. It is a little bit of, of um, um, showmanship, but it's also about earning the right to have that conversation. And I, I don't mean to be funny, but I don't want to be friends with APSA. I don't yeah. want to be friends <laughs> with MTN. I don't, I don't connect intimately with um, discoveries, I, I expect them to be representative of that organization. And, and as such, I'm not going to be surprised if they are um, a, a, special, a special advertised or potentially a discount coupon or whatnot. But if that's all I'm getting from that account, then my decision as to whether or not to interact with it is purely going to be a transactional one. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be absolutely no affinity or emotion involved in that at all. At all. Mm-hmm. So our challenge to brands is, these four things play a role together, right? Um, get as many invites to the dining room table as you possibly can. When you sit down at the dining room table, be remotely interesting, all right? <laughs> when, when you're having a conversation and somebody goes, yeah, but you, um, you turned down my home loan application or uh, <laughs> my sister isn't able to claim for her treatment because of this, have an honest conversation, okay? Because at that point at the dining room table, you go, well, I'm not going to talk about that, sorry. That's not really important to me. If you're interested in buying something, let's have a chat. But otherwise, I don't really want to talk about that. You can't do in social. You're going to be held accountable because, remember, you're at the dining room table. And then lastly, when you've arrived, had that good conversation, answered those questions in a meaningful and sincere way, the guy goes, you know what? I'm interested in talking to you a little bit more. Can I get your business card? And there you go. Like, that's how it's done. This is not 
rocket science. This is logic. It's a fundamental human truth around authenticity, um, effort, time, um, and then understanding that if you're not willing to put the effort and time in, and it's just a conversion play, just understanding the cost. Because the cost, nobody's going to go, because you only advertise specials, I don't want to be your friend anymore. <laughs> Nobody gives a damn. I mean, the people that have the kind of time to think that way are, are an embarrassment to humanity, right? <laughs> um, for, for me, it's going to be more about what are we losing out on? What opportunities are we losing out on? Are we really leveraging the network effect of these environments in the best possible way on the back of all of those other things that we're doing? Yeah, it's interesting. There's an old saying which says people buy brands first, then products. Yeah, yeah, it's a, that's a, that's that old analogy, and also as Maybe marketers, people, people buy people first, then yeah, brands, then products. That's true, exactly, and that was actually exactly what I was going to say. Was that you know, as marketers, we like, oh fuck, it's a demographic between twenty five and thirty five male. They're human beings, you know what I mean, and it's very easy to kind of overlook the basics of um, you know a socially led engagement. You know, well, I guess that if if nothing else. That's what this environment has has done. Is it, it it has exposed quite unceremoniously the the humanity and individuality of every single one of our customers, mm. and the humanity and individuality of every single one of our employees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and both of those are critical conversations. And your 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 response as an organization, as a brand, as a board, uh, as a, an exco, is to what level of depth are we going to acknowledge that? exposure to what level of depth are we going to invest in that or we're just going to pretend it's not the case which by the way is a feasible option yeah i'd rather you didn't arrive at the dining room table than you arrive there and try to sell me amway products you know um (laughs) it's it's a compromise i'm okay i'm okay with you know so 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 not showing up is all right it is all right but but if you are going to show up make flipping sure you know what those levers are and the, and the long-term impact of, of not paying attention to certain of them. Yeah, exactly. Because obviously in social, there's that compounded negative effect, right? So um, yeah. people, someone says something negative, average of 250 other people see it. You put a, um, a kind of a commercial value on the impact of a negative mention on your brand or your service. Uh, and the actual impact that that has on things like client retention is huge. It's absolutely yes. huge. Um, but that's a discussion for another day. Um, cool. So, um, I wanted to maybe walk through an actual practical example. So let's say that you're an entrepreneur. Okay. Yeah. Um, and you are selling shoes online, right? You know that, you know, in order to reach to your point earlier, um, about reach, you want to reach your, your audience, um, and Facebook is, and all the other social platforms are, are great sort of channels and platforms to do that. How do you approach it? Because there's a ton of options. You don't have a lot of resource available as a as a startup or a small business owner. So, how? What's your advice there? What What should the guys do? So, assuming you have some sort of semblance of a viable business, that that's the first thing. Then, then I would go ask yourself four questions. Right. So, the first question would be, how do I want to represent this brand in this space? What, what do I want my identity to be? And it's not as simple as going, this is what my logo looks like yeah. and this is what my tagline is. It's, a, it's an amalgamation of things. It's that, your visual identity, the, the thing you would pay, I guess, your uh, cousin who did graphic design to come up with or whatever it might be or a, potentially a small branding agency or whatever. Yeah. The second thing you're going to add into that mix is what do my customers and my employees say about this brand? Is it 
uh, am I um, uh, tacky world uh, greatest shoes, best prices, or is the truth is what people actually say about me tacky world just tacky? You know, like mm, what is yeah. the actual messaging around? Uh, and you need to, I guess, find the middle ground between those two things because if you're a bank that's promising to be the most innovative bank in the world, people are going to hold you accountable to that. Totally. If you are a telco provider that's going to uh, purport to be the cheapest and quickest, people are going to hold you accountable to that. If you don't say anything, nobody cares. There's a reason why ESCOM has one of the lowest complaint rates on Twitter relevant to its market base. And that's because ESCOM promises to be utterly shit and they deliver <laughs> utter shit. Yeah. They're remarkably consistent from a brand perspective, right? <laughs> you almost have to applaud them. Well done. Um, <laughs> but somebody like Woolworths or a Nike or whatever experienced a disproportionately high numbers of complaints because happiness equals expectation minus delivery, right? Mm -hmm. So if Woolworths is promising an 11 out of 10 and I find a spider in my blueberry, I want to start a petition to boycott all Woolworths stores across the Western Cape, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and so on and so forth. So, um, uh, you know, one has got to be careful that, that what you purport to be is not contradictory or even um, apart from what you actually are. And then the third part of that identity equation is, is the competitive landscape. Because you don't want to be just a slightly better or slightly worse version of what everybody else is, right? You've got to figure out what is your distinctive voice and so on. So that's the first piece, identity, part cool. that. Second cool. piece is what we call that objectives piece. So once we know who we are, why are we doing this? And just that identity piece will probably be a valuable exercise. But going, why are we doing this from a reach perspective? Why are we doing this from an engagement perspective? Why are we doing this from a sentiment perspective? And why are we doing this from a conversion perspective? What are the numbers there mm -hmm. that will help us understand that this has been a worthwhile endeavor? Okay. okay? Yeah. And often that works back from what is the conversion expectation and what do we need from a social pipeline perspective to get that result at mm -hmm. the end of the day? Yeah. The, the third piece will be sentiment. So, when, when the shit hits the fan from a customer service perspective because my, there was no fulfillment and the guy didn't get his shoes, to what degree am I going to, um, am I going to service that, that online, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, not, that's just talking specifically to the sentiment piece of the objectives. The third piece is actually – so okay, sorry, I, I lost my train of thought there for a second. That's Identity, cool. objectives, mm -hmm. then content, cool. right? Gotcha. Um, Three things to consider under the, the category of content. The first one is uh, what am I authorized and competent to speak about? Cool. So um, I've got a side business called FitCal, which is a, is a running application and, and calendar and whatnot. We do events. Now, as FitCal, I don't feel like I'm authorized to speak about… Um, Politics. Politics. I was just going to go with that. Or okay, cool. I don't feel like I'm necessarily even authorized to talk about cricket because that's mm. not my central focus. Mm. But knowing what my specialization and my authority is then immediately tells me about who, who's my target market, which is the second piece. So your mm. pillars, your personas, mm. who are the people that I want to speak to and narrowing that down to those key customers, yeah. right? Cool. And then the third element would be what platforms are appropriate for that. Now, interestingly enough, this is the first time in this whole uh, podcast, video cast, whatever yeah. we call this, <laughs> that I'm talking about Twitter versus Facebook versus LinkedIn versus yeah, YouTube. Exactly. If you know who you are and you know why you're doing it, you know the content that you're authorized to speak about, you know who you're speaking to, then whether Instagram is a good idea or not is such yeah. an easy decision to make. Yeah. But we start the other way around. We go, I like Instagram. I think I should be on Instagram. Hmm. 
Now, what the fuck am I going to do? You know? <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense to me. You know? Yeah. No, um, uh, so, so I think I think that's a very important part part of that conversation. And then the fourth element will be publishing or the scheduling around it or how much time do I have to give to this? So if I only have 20 minutes a week, then I have to temper my expectations around that conversion metric according to that time allocation. Yeah. And that's, that's a pretty logical and useful pathway that gets you to a place where you have a semblance of a strategy around what do we do uh, as a social brand and, and how do we position ourselves online and how do we deliver on those expectations that we had under the, the category of objectives. Yeah, it's great advice. Um, there you go, guys. Tons of great stuff you can take immediately and implement in your business. Um, interestingly, you were talking about, you know, what's, from a brand point of view, what's your message? Do you know that Apple doesn't have a mission? I did not know that. Yeah, they don't have a mission. So if you think about Amazon um, and other big brands, uh, you know, in that space, like Google as most well. Corporates. Most corporates. Yeah, they have a mission. And it's interesting because when they evaluate or compare the brand of Apple, they compare them purely in the context of product launches and yeah. nothing else, nothing else. When everyone else is being compared to completely different things, which are in fact standardized across those brands. So I thought I'd share that with you. It's very interesting. I think, I think every business of significance has a, sorry, there's a, a whiny rock file in the corner. That's cool. Um, every business has a mission, even if it's not written down. So, so while I think that Apple might not have a, a, a mission statement carved out in, in, in wood, you know, laser cut on the wall where the, 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 the cleaner polishes it every day, uh, <laughs> they might not have that. No. But I absolutely do believe that there's, a, there's something driving those A players. You know, it's, it's A players uh, developing A, a products at A prices. That, that's, what they, that's what they do. That's their mission. And they remarkably good at it you know that's their consistency so um while it might not be a defined sentence i think all great businesses have this is the way that we do this um yeah one could even argue that apple actually doesn't even need to say anything because it's obvious yeah you know it's about making the best consumer products in the world full stop they are yeah. spectacularly not shit yeah <laughs> totally cool man i just wanted to chat around um integration you know um agencies when they're engaging with clients, it's always this integration, integration, integration. If it's not integrated, it's a big issue. Um, in social, though, I wanted to kind of unpack with you how important is integration across your channels? So if you have a communications piece that you'd like to get out into the world, um, is integration important? What are, what's the value or benefits of integrating? I think integration is secondary to consistency for me. Okay. Um, and I think if you have a, if you have a strategy like the one we spoke about earlier on that yeah. defines which channels are appropriate, then it's simply about maintaining consistency across those. Um, so I, I would always focus rather on consistency. That There's two types of integration, though, I guess. The one is how you integrate complex service providers for a big brand. That's a different topic entirely. Um, but I think you're more asking around how, how, do, how do I take a single piece of content yeah. and make as much use of it as possible. So exactly. I guess I guess the downside to that approach is that you could overuse content in such a way that it becomes stale or irrelevant or whatever it might be. But it, it's got to be a question mark against that 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 strategy. Mm. Is this for is this the right audience to be giving this to? Is this the right uh, uh, piece of content for us? And then what is the, the the appropriate platform? And then how often can I do this before it becomes tired, tiresome? You know? um, and I guess a lot of that just comes down to logic and common sense. You know? Yeah, totally. Um, social media for me is a fascinating uh, space altogether because it seems to me that just when you think things are maturing in the space, something happens and it makes you question if, if we as, as consumers 
know anything around social media in terms of how to use it appropriately. So, I mean, this Penny Sparrow debacle, for example, um, not necessarily for what she said, but the impact that that's had on people losing their jobs because of them reacting, you know. Um, and I think you even described, um, you know, in general, the responses to Penny Sparrows being something like mass idiocy, you know. Um, and I wanted to ask you, people get shit wrong all the time when it comes to anything, right? But, it's, but the impact of getting it wrong on social media is far larger. Um, what would you say are the top three mistakes that brands make when it comes to the use of social media platforms? All right, Joel, there's two big topics there. So first of all, I don't want to uh, I want to set the record straight. I don't believe that the responses to Penny Sparrow's uh, idiotic Facebook post were idiotic themselves. Uh, I've more meant, meant that there are a lot of people out there that are unaware that the things that they publish online are representative of both their personal opinion and the, uh, the opinion of their employer, and I consider that to be relatively idiotic. Um, uh, the top, the, what are the three biggest mistakes that brands make online? Um, so the first one I think would be um, avoiding or, or uh, failing to acknowledge the gap between what they promise and what they deliver. So this would be a brand that assumes that you can treat uh, social as you would any other traditional marketing platform. You can have a bullshit ad flat, flat on TV and very few people are able to, I mean, they can beat their TV, but like there's, there's no real impact on the brand. Whereas uh, your bullshit statement on social will come back to haunt you and, and with, with exponential quality. The second thing that I think brands make a mistake doing is quite the opposite of this is, is overcompensating. So uh, the old trying too hard, right? So every time somebody complains, there's a big, oh, everybody panics inside the business. And uh, I don't think there's enough thinking around what kinds of consumer behavior do we want to reward? Uh, what kind of relationship do we want to have with our, our customer? Is it is it um, the customer is right at all costs. I, I don't, you know, I believe that the customer is king, but I really do not believe that the customer is always right. I mean, yeah. most yeah. often they're wrong. <laughs> and it's about having having a, a, an equal sense of of respect and balance there. You know, um, uh, treat 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 each other as we would wish to be treated in in return. You know. Yeah. And then the third thing I think that brands do uh, is is a failure to acknowledge that social impacts the entire organization. And uh, this is more to your earlier point around employees that make um, ill-informed statements. Yeah. That's about the most dipl- diplomatic <laughs> way to refer to it. But yeah. uh, that make that, that they don't understand the implication of publishing. And I mean, this is why we have an academy is because we're so bent on helping our clients empower their employees for more conscious, more responsible, more profitable social media usage in their personal capacity. Uh, because it is, it's absolutely critical. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, the academy is interesting if you brought that up now, because um, I wanted to talk to you around skills development and uh, and so on and so forth. Um, can you unpack for us a bit more about what the academy does? Uh, what's the kind of benefits of? Can a guy sign up, or is it you know reserved for your for your clients? Sure. Um, so just a precursor, it's baby bath time. So this has got to be our last uh, one. Sorry, mate. Oh but, um, so, <laughs> Maybe so, we'll do a part two. <laughs> uh, sure. Um, the Academy was always designed to be accessible to anyone anywhere in the world at any point in time on any device. The idea being that you could equip yourself for conscious social media usage in your personal capacity anytime, right? Um, but, but I think that we've seen a far greater uptake from corporate clients that see the value in prescribing it almost as a risk and compliance platform for for their for their staff, yeah. and I think that is the future of the of the platform. So, to answer your question, yes, you can as an individual contact us and sign up and go through the program, and we also have face to face courses that answer that that um, 
that query or that need, but primarily it's it's focused on equipping clients for for uh, more conscious employees, uh, more responsible employee behavior. Okay, super. Mike, I know you got to go. Uh, bath time for the little one. Indeed. <laughs> Congrats. I can, hear, I can hear crying in the background. I'm going to pay my school fees if I'm not careful. <laughs> cool, dude. Listen, thank you so much. I'm sorry it was so short and sweet, but um, yeah, maybe part two uh, in the immediate or, uh, or future. So cool, man. Enjoy the rest of the year. And Thanks, wishing you all the best. Yeah, appreciate the opportunity, mate. Thank you. Remember that the show is now on iTunes. So please head on over and either write us a review or subscribe for new episodes. And if you'd like to be an exclusive real-time participant on our next Digital Kung Fu live show, then visit our website at digitalkungfu.co.za forward slash live to get early bird VIP access. Thanks for listening to the Digital Kung Fu Show. If you'd like to check out more episodes and get access to our growing community of entrepreneurs working together to succeed in business, then please visit our website at www.digitalkungfu.co.za. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients Haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an X.com.